This week, the long and short-term threats to humans on planet Earth. I brought to you a long-term threat last week, AIs. I'll have more on that later. We'll look at another common threat to human life on Earth, but first up, an immediate and becoming more common threat, coronavirus. Let's begin with a look at just how lethal the coronavirus is. So we have to ask this question, just how bad is the coronavirus anyway? The University of Minnesota reports that the coronavirus has a 2.3% death rate and is less deadly than SARS or MERS, but it is more easily transmitted. It also has a 49% death rate for those who become critically ill, such as those with other diseases, which are found mostly in the older population. Here's the thing, if everyone on earth became infected, that 2.3% death rate would kill over 150 million people based on there being 7.5 billion people on this planet. According to this, this article from statnews.com, across China about 80% of cases are mild, about 14% are severe, and about 6% become critically ill. And as I said, of that 6%, the death rate is 49%. The case fatality rate, the percentage of known infected people who die, is between 2 and 4 percent in Hubei province and 0.7 percent in other parts of China. The case fatality rate of between 2 and 4 percent rivals and even exceeds that of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, which is estimated to have killed upwards of 50 million people. Even a case fatality rate of 0.7%, of which that is what some parts of China is seeing, this means that 7 out of every 1,000 infected people will die, and that is sobering. It is 7 times the fatality rate that you have for seasonal flu, which is estimated to kill between 290,000 and 650,000 people a year globally, and it's spreading. The coronavirus is now spreading across the world with confirmed cases now in 37 countries. And if you're looking at this video, you can see those countries on your screen. If not, you can click on that article and see that list as of today. The zoonotic coronavirus, just another in a long list of viruses that jump from animals to humans and humans to animals, is causing all kinds of scares on the planet now. And these kinds of viruses have been around for a long time and include bubonic plague, Ebola, SARS, malaria, and West Nile virus. Government leaders are now taking action. The mayor of San Francisco declared a state of emergency on Tuesday over coronavirus fears shortly after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a warning that the U.S. will likely see more cases. 
There are 60 known cases in the U.S. as of this morning, and no cases in San Francisco, but Mayor London Breed pointed to the virus's unpredictability and troubling global growth. New outbreaks will occur, according to Dr. Nancy Messonnier. She said, it's not so much a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather more a question of exactly when this will happen. Some experts have suggested that the spread is worse than thought because mild cases may be missed and not counted. But on Tuesday, Bruce Aylward, a World Health Organization expert, suggested that does not appear to be the case. He led an international mission to China to learn about the virus and China's response, and he said the specialists did not see evidence that a large number of mild cases of the novel disease called COVID-19 are evading detection. He said, so I know everybody's been out there saying, whoa, this thing is spreading everywhere and we just can't see it, tip of the iceberg. But he says the data that we have doesn't support that. The world most certainly will get conflicting information from medical experts and the news media. Here is what can be confirmed at this time. More than 3,500 coronavirus cases have been reported outside China. There have been more than 80,000 global cases, with cases in every continent except Antarctica. The death toll is over 2,700 worldwide, with the vast majority in mainland China. Italy has updated its death toll to 11, and other European countries are beginning to panic, and Italy has become Europe's worst affected country, with more than 400 cases reported as of this morning, as I am reporting on Beastwatch News, recording on Thursday morning. The first positive virus test has been recorded in Latin America, a Brazilian resident just returned from Italy. The BBC reports that several European countries have announced their first coronavirus cases, all apparently linked to the growing outbreak in Italy. Austria, Croatia, and Switzerland said the cases involved people who had been to Italy, as did Algeria in Africa. The biggest cluster of infections outside China is in South Korea, with a reported total of more than 1,200 infections and 12 deaths so far. The World Health Organization warned countries on Monday this week to be ready for a potential pandemic as new deaths and infections in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia triggered more drastic efforts to contain the new coronavirus. I'll tell you about some of those efforts in just a little bit. One World Health Organization official said the virus could be around for months. That's bad news and will be as common as the seasonal flu. That's even worse news. The wave of bad news sent global stock markets and oil prices tumbling as investors headed for safe haven gold. Authorities ramped up efforts to contain the spread of the virus, seeking to seal off borders and ordering people to stay indoors to stop them traveling. 
Iran seems to be the plague's epicenter in the Middle East. On Monday, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kuwait, Oman, and Bahrain reported their first cases of coronavirus, all involving people who had traveled from Iran. On the same day, Iran denied a cover-up over how many there had been that's died from the disease there. To try to prevent the spread of the virus, Iranian authorities have ordered the nationwide cancellation of concerts, football matches, and closures of schools and universities in many provinces as a precaution. And then there are the coming travel restrictions, some that are already in place. Pay attention because those interested in the Great Tribulation should understand that travel restrictions will occur during the Great Tribulation. This plague is an example of travel conditions at a time when you will want to travel to safety in the wilderness, but you can't. Isaiah 33.8 says the highways are desolate. This is during a time of trouble in Isaiah 33.8. The highways are desolate. The traveling man ceases. The covenant is broken. He has despised the cities. He doesn't respect man. That's an isolated but not taken out of context scripture. And it is a warning. This prophecy is not being fulfilled right now. It has been fulfilled in the past. For in the future it is simply a reminder to all... Perhaps Yahweh wants his people to take heed and prepare to get to the wilderness before the great tribulation. Otherwise, you might get caught in the nations and not get to the wilderness for protection and nourishing that will happen according to Revelation 12.6. Travel restrictions are now being imposed. Several Gulf states have imposed flight restrictions in an effort to try to slow the spread of the coronavirus outbreak. The United Arab Emirates, Oman, Jordan, Kuwait, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia have suspended all flights to and from Iran, with the exception of Tehran. Dubai's airport authority said that passengers arriving from Tehran will be screened. Bahrain has suspended all flights to and from Dubai and Sarja in the UAE until further notice. Israel became the first country to urge its citizens to refrain from international travel. The Wednesday statement advised the cancellation or delay of all international conferences and gatherings in Israel in the coming months and to refrain from traveling to such events abroad where the threat of contagion from multiple countries is higher. It also urged the avoidance of travel to events of a religious character at which people from many different nations gather together. That's an apparent reference to Hajj, which falls in July. Israel's travel warning is not just about Hajj and Mecca. It also encompasses gatherings in Israel. The Feasts of the Lord are Passover, April 8 to 16, and Shavuot, May 28th to 30th. These are the gatherings that are now concerning Israel. The advisory warning said, I'm going to repeat it, 
The statement advised the cancellation or delay of all international conferences and gatherings in Israel in the coming months. The statement also ordered all Israelis returning from Italy to a 14-day home quarantine effective immediately. Over the weekend, South Korea informed Israel that several members of a group of pilgrims who returned from a recent visit to Israel were found to have the disease. Another four Israelis were being treated in Japan where they were diagnosed as having the virus while still on the ship. On Saturday, authorities instructed some 200 Israeli students and teachers to self-quarantine due to their contact with the group of South Korean pilgrims. It is not clear whether the Korean tourists were already infected while in Israel or if they contracted the disease after they returned to South Korea. The Jordan Times issued this statement from Nasser bin Nasser, the managing director of the Middle East Scientific Institute for Security, which is a Jordanian nonprofit uh, government organization working to address chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear risks across the Arab world. The statement says, although the efforts of Jordanian authorities to prevent the coronavirus from entering Jordan have been valiant and commendable, it is important to recognize that prevention is somewhat of an uphill battle in this case, if not altogether impossible. This is no cause to panic. Even the most well-prepared and isolated countries will have outbreaks. The sooner we can collectively come to terms with this, the better. Only then can efforts focus entirely on the more important part of dealing with such public health incidents, managing the outbreak once it has already taken place. Limiting the spread of the virus requires significant work on two fronts. First, utilizing the already impressive assets and network available to the government for early detection so that care and quarantine measures can be provided to affected patients and communities. This not only necessitates that horizontal communication amongst the relevant government agencies is strengthened and streamlined, but also that vertical communication within the different agencies is enhanced, such as that between the Ministry of Health and the public hospitals under its jurisdiction. Second, authorities should work diligently with the Jordanian public to both raise awareness about the virus and address social, cultural, and behavioral norms that could impact its spread among the population. This would include issues that are very much ingrained in the practices and identities of all Jordanians, such as paying condolences, joining Friday prayers, and even limiting physical greetings. This is the same warning, folks, that was given in Israel. Stay away from gatherings. But this article says, This is no easy feat. A general resistance to change, adherence to habit, even the vulnerability to disinformation and rumors on social media platforms are spreading faster than the virus itself. A recent post seen online provided a traditional homeopathic recipe as a surefire way to prevent infection.
Another made a hateful suggestion that the outbreak of the virus was heavenly retribution against the Chinese for their mistreatment of Uyghur Muslims. Yet another provided estimates about the number of actual victims of the coronavirus in the kingdom that are both baseless and sensationalist. I am not pointing to this article written in Jordan by a Jordanian only because I live in Jordan, but because this is the first common sense advice I've seen from any government agency. So, my advice to all of you, wherever you are listening internationally, stay home unless you have to go out. We should all now think of stocking up on food supplies, too. Just last week, I told some friends I wasn't thinking about food storage. Now I am. Addressing public health risks such as this outbreak requires a collective and collaborative effort between the government, civil society, and the general public as well as responsible and courageous actions on the part of individuals and organizations. A heartfelt example is the reported insistence of the brave Royal Jordanian pilot evacuating Jordanians from Wuhan, the source of the outbreak, on self-quarantine even though she had taken all precautions against infection and was not required to do so. Folks, it would be better for us to do more than is required by our governments than to risk spreading this infection. Jordanians should be encouraged that the government in general and the Ministry of Health in particular has drastically improved its preparedness to deal with public health risks over the past several years and has already effectively dealt with a recent serious outbreak of H1N1 in December of last year. In this current crisis, the ministry has already been working diligently with its partners, such as the National Center for Security and Crises Management, Ministry of Agriculture, Public Security Directorate, and other stakeholders to increase readiness and coordination. This positions Jordan well to weather the outbreak when, and not if, it happens. A key to addressing public health incidents like the world is now grappling with is for governments everywhere to maintain honest and open communications channels with their respective general public. In this sense, while scientific and technical measures relating to managing pandemics are critical, it is equally important to consider the role that the behavioral sciences rather, could play in improving trust and communication and addressing skepticism and doubt that has come to characterize relations between governments and their citizens everywhere. President Trump made a speech this week, but he did not announce any new travel restrictions, including travel to South Korea and Italy, which, as I said, have had a large number of coronavirus outbreaks. This scare is having its toll on the world economy. Will there be an economic collapse? Well, Elal Airlines warned that it and other Israeli airline carriers could collapse financially in a matter of weeks due to the health ministry's increasingly stringent travel restrictions from Israel and its warnings related to the coronavirus. 
the global airline industry body, the International Air Transportation Association, IATA, warned on Friday that airlines stand to lose $29.3 billion of revenue this year due to the effects of the virus. The IATA predicted that demand for air travel would fall for the first time in more than a decade. Last week, airlines Qantas and Air France, KLM, warned that their earnings would be hit as a result of the coronavirus dampening demand in Israel. In fact, the entire travel industry is being hit. And Israeli economist Rafi Farber said a worldwide economic collapse will happen this summer and that the coronavirus will play a role. He said the collapse will start suddenly and take about a year, not 10 to 15, just one, when growth stalls possibly because of this coronavirus shutting down production, the entire pyramid falls. Farber also points out that the economy was already in trouble before the coronavirus happened. Overnight, interest rates shot up to 10% last September. Nobody really understands why. But since then, the Fed has been printing about 30 to $200 billion a day. There's already a liquidity crisis, he said. If production in China is still shut down, we'll be in a negative supply by August or September, he warned. Can it be stopped? Well, at this point, he says, there is nothing at all that can deter this. The best thing that could possibly be done, which will not be done, is to massively and draconianly cut spending, like cut the budget right now by 50%, and get rid of the income tax entirely. Then get rid of the Fed and back the dollar with gold reserves and stop printing money entirely. Many would suffer, obviously. Banks would collapse. But it would save the dollar and spare the country the worst of what is to come, he said. How will it affect elections in America? Well, according to Farber, people will blame Trump for the crash. And that could lead to the election of Bernie Sanders. And if that happens, Farber has a dire warning for the Jews of America. Get out of America. That's because when Bernie is president... Americans will blame the Jews. Farber warns that old people starving to death and mass rioting on the streets is entirely plausible. And then what about Israel? Farber notes that Israel is not any more safe than America. Israel went through hyperinflation from 1984 to 1985. Since the new shekel is based on the dollar, the shekel will fall too, he says. Well, that is not quite true. I've reported on this uh, last September. Ariel Natan Pasco says the Israeli economy is stable because Israel is heavily invested in a basket of reserve currencies, dollars, euros, yen, pounds, etc. However, Pasco also calls on Israel to invest its shekels in gold. And I explained in my article, Jerusalem Mystery Babylon Deceiving Many, as her rise continues on September 5th, 2019, that I expect the U.S. and Israeli economies to not collapse until Yahweh says it is time. 
this will be almost entirely due to the building and maintaining of the temple. So click on over there to that article to get the complete picture. Then this question is asked, how can we survive the upcoming collapse? He says, you can't come out unscathed, he warned, but the damage can be mitigated by owning gold and silver. Well, let's look at Ezekiel 7.19. They shall cast their, their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They shall not satisfy their souls, neither fill their bowels, because it is the stumbling block of their iniquity. So, so much for Farber's advice about owning gold and silver. European financial markets fell again on Wednesday, and U.S. futures titled lower as the economic costs of the coronavirus spooked investors a day after the Dow Jones Industrial Average slumped to its largest two-day percentage decline in two years. CNN says the longest economic expansion in American history has survived an unprecedented trade war, a catastrophic tsunami in Japan, and a severe crash in oil prices. The fast-moving coronavirus poses yet another grave test. The emerging health crisis threatens to dim the brightest part of the United States, if not the world economy, American wallets. Resilient spending by consumers is the only thing that kept the United States out of recession during the height of the U.S.-China trade war last year. Manufacturing collapsed. Business spending shrank. Yet Americans kept on shopping. If the American consumer loses faith and the coronavirus will be a real test of faith, then a recession is going to happen. It's easy to imagine how a coronavirus outbreak like those gripping South Korea and Italy could cause Americans to hunker down, limiting visits to crowded restaurants, malls, and airports. Such a threat has spooked investors around the world, causing the Dow to plummet nearly 2,000 points, or 6.5% so far this week. In light of the health scare, economist Mark Zandi this week raised his probability of a recession in the United States during the first half of the year, not later in the year, as Farber said earlier in another article that I brought to you. This will be, uh, he raised his probability for recession from 40% to 20% in the first half of 2020. For corporate America, the coronavirus could pose a double whammy. Not only are U.S. companies experiencing costly disruptions to carefully calibrated supply chains, but they are bracing for weaker demand. Apple warned of a potential iPhone shortage, and Coca-Cola said its artificial sweeteners from China could be in short supply. United Airlines said demand for flights to China has plunged to zero, and MasterCard is on alert for softer spending. The risk of further outbreak is heightened by the fact that the global economy is already teetering, in large part because of lingering damage from the U.S.-China trade war. You know, let me stop here, and I, it's not part of this script. 
I talked about this last year. Everybody was saying Trump was doing such a great job with the economy, but they did not see the damage he was doing with the U.S.-China trade war. He was trying to bully China, and it didn't work, and now he's damaged the economy. And this damaged economy could be further damaged by this coronavirus. During the fourth quarter, Japan, the world's largest economy, suffered its deepest contraction in growth since 2014. Germany's economic growth ground to a halt late last year, and China, the epicenter of the coronavirus, was slowing before the crisis hit. The global economy was already on its back heels because of the trade war. And when you're on your back heels, all you need is a shove to fall backwards, said Zandi. The good news, though, is that the U.S. economy has been extremely resilient in the past. Previous shocks, including last decade's European debt crisis and the 2011 tsunami and earthquake in Japan, proved fleeting. After each scare... The economy quickly rebounded, and those market freakouts turned out to be terrific buying opportunities for investors. Panicking during a sell-off has never been a good move, Bespoke Investment Group wrote in a note to clients on Tuesday. We'd advise you to stay calm and not let your emotions get the best of you, they said. Goldman Sachs has trimmed its first quarter GDP forecast, but still expects positive growth of 1.2% during the first quarter. The Atlanta Federal Reserve's GDP Now tool is forecasting even stronger growth of 2.6%. Both are a far cry from recession territory. So, like the medical experts, where you're going to get a lot of different opinions, you're going to get a lot of different opinions from the financial experts as well. The Dow did plummet more than 1,000 points on Monday, something that has only occurred two other times in history. And on a percentage basis, it was the market's worst day in two years, reflecting how ill-prepared investors were for that bad news. So now you see why Wall Street is jittery. You know, it takes humans to buy products that fuel the stock markets. Now along come AIs and robots, which is our long-term threat that I'm going to tell you about last week and again this week. And, you know, they don't buy products, and they never will, which is why the people in charge need to take a look at what they're doing making these AIs and robots because they're going to be ruining their own pocketbooks. You know, sometimes people are so stupid. Now, let's take a look at this AI long-term threat. The long-term threat that I'm talking about is the same one I brought to you last week. And continuing from last week's look at the intrusion of AIs into our lives, I will begin with this Wall Street Journal article, AI comes to the tax code. Governments turn to machine learning to boost revenue as taxpayers seek to reduce their bills. Tax cheats beware. The machines are watching. Governments are necessarily relying on machine learning and data analytics to analyze troves of data as they seek to detect tax evasion, respond to taxpayers' questions, and make themselves more efficient. Most of us have not accepted the use of robotic operators in companies' phone queues. 
How are we supposed to deal with not knowing if the one answering our tax questions is a person or a robot? Will it answer, Hi, my name is R0101 and I'm your personal tax assistant today? The effect of government AIs and robots is that the governments of the world can now use AIs to isolate themselves from their people under the guise of efficiency. It is not efficiency. It is a further separation of the haves from the have-nots using technology. In Brazil, the customs agency system for detecting anomalies now prompts more than 30% of inspections. Canada next month will launch Charlie the Chatbot, an automated system that will respond to inquiries about tax filing. The Internal Revenue Service is designing machine-built graphs to plot the relationships among participants in business deals, giving auditors a new tool to analyze transactions and detect tax avoidance. The agency is using artificial intelligence to study notes that agency employees take when fielding questions from taxpayers and testing which combinations of formal notices and contacts are most likely to get a taxpayer who owes money to send a check. The IRS scours data from inside and outside the agency for its compliance initiatives, such as a recent effort to identify thousands of high-income individuals who didn't file returns. The government is now sending tax collectors to knock on their doors. How do you think we found these people, said IRS Commissioner Charles Reddig at a conference on artificial intelligence and taxes this week at the University of California Irvine Law School. It wasn't filed on returns. These are non-filers. There is a heat map, he says, that says where there are concentrations of these people and we have sufficient data on these people. Please, folks, don't be fooled by this. Don't be fooled that the only people the AIs are going after are those with high incomes that practice tax evasion. Oh, no. These AIs will also track those who disagree with government policies, speak out against atrocities and biblical abominations, and who do not generally comply with the current culture. You know, AIs are the new NSA, folks. The IRS Criminal Investigation Unit uses Palantir Technologies, the data mining firm, to identify potential fraud cases for further inquiry. If I get a first name and a cell phone number, you'd be shocked how much information Palantir can provide, Mr. Reddig said. Some of the IRS's most sophisticated efforts are still in their early stages, and the budget-starved tax agency has long struggled to update some of its decades-old technology. It is too soon to tell how much impact these initiatives will have and how they will compete against companies and accounting firms employing similar technology in the constant cat-and-mouse game between taxpayers and enforcement officials. U.S. states are already using artificial intelligence to target resources and increasing the return per hour they get from each auditor, said Debbie Pianco of the data firm SAS Institute Incorporated, which contracts with governments. 
Real risks exist if algorithms for audit selection inadvertently discriminate against taxpayers by race or location. Oh, there's no chance of that happening. And relying on technology can make an already impersonal agency even more so, perhaps confusing taxpayers who may struggle to understand why the government is coming after them and they want to deal directly with people at the IRS, but of course they never will get a person. The tools are only going to be as good as the people employing them, said Victor Flesher, a UCI law professor. Meanwhile, tax preparers and accounting firms are turning to the same tools to keep tax bills as small as possible. The big four accounting firms all have specialists trying to use artificial intelligence to guide the advice they give clients. To the extent that tax laws can be described as formulas, machine intelligence can make it easier for companies to find the optimal tax strategies. But the tax law is often full of gray areas, legal interpretations, and changing rules. That means the human role in tax administration and tax planning may change, but it won't vanish. The tax world's future looks more like Iron Man than the Terminator, said Daryl Campbell, who is a partner at EY LLP. We're supplemented by the machines so we can make better decisions, he said. Right. The people will be taxed more and more heavily until the government uses AIs and other technology to suck even more out of them. Then they can make better decisions about what to do with you if you have not paid every last dime, even the dimes you didn't know about. And then this comes from the Daily Star. Robots will rebel against humans because they will possess their own freedom of thought. An artificial intelligence expert has warned Dr. Ian Pearson, a futurist scientist and an ex-cybernetics engineer, told Daily Star Online that we will easily be able to manufacture robots with human levels of intelligence, as I reported last week. But he warns this will come at a terrifying price. He claims we will not be able to control these machines because they will be clever enough to rebel against human control and seek independent lives. His prediction marks a chilling parallel to TV hit Westworld, an HBO show that fictionalizes robots escaping a playground designed for human visitors. Dr. Pearson told us, So in 2035, you could probably make a robot, but you're left with how far to go before you give him human levels of intelligence. I would say probably by 2050, given AI is going really slowly at the moment, and we only have a few niches where computers are better than computers, only machines get human levels of intelligence and above, he said, and I don't think you can control them once they are able to understand that you're just trying to control them. So if they are as smart as you and I, and you have told these robots that they must not harm people, well, that's the same things you told your kids, but occasionally kids grow up into terrorists. 
Dr. Pearson also warned that they will possess far superior strength to us, and these physical attributes combined with human levels of intelligence could prove lethal. Robots are becoming increasingly sophisticated and more lifelike. Dr. Pearson had previously warned that robots that look identical identical rather to humans will be deployed as undercover robot spies by rogue nations including China. Now he believes robots will easily be able to blend in with human populations without us noticing. Authoritarian regimes, what he calls that, right now China is one of those but any nation can become authoritarian even ones with a messianic agenda such as Israel and the United States so authoritarian regimes may decide that the easiest way to monitor its people is to have some state controlled robots masquerading as people among everyone else will people accept AIs as public servants Americans might be able to fend off public servant AIs for a time, but the Japanese are much more forward-thinking people and more willing to accept such inventions. Japanese roboticists have developed a suitably creepy child robot that can feel pain. This might seem like a cruel gift to give to a robot, but the researchers say it could help robots understand and empathize with their human companions. Scientists from Osaka University have developed a synthetic skin that contains sensors to subtly detect changes in pressure, whether it's a light touch or a hard punch. This artificial pain nervous system was then hooked up to a lifelike android robot child that was able to react to the sensations using a variety of facial expressions. Well, let me stop right here and say that this lie of altruism in a robot is not the real reason for giving pressure sensors to robots. These sensors are for the purpose of proportional response to being attacked by humans you know like when they're out patrolling the streets or when humans must defend themselves from an unprovoked AI attack the programming will range from providing a somewhat greater metered response to the one received by the robot such as giving only you know like a small wound uh, to knocking someone out for instance or to even killing them outright for so much as a little too much punch from the human Osaka University had revealed the robot child in 2011 with just a realistic head capable of pulling a variety of expressions such as smiling and frowning and using 116 different facial points. The latest project has given the boy robot a body complete with artificial skin covered skeleton covered in the new tactile sensor material. The aim is to make more realistic rather, social robots that are able to have deeper interaction with humans. This might sound like a long-term pipe dream, but it's not as far out as it might seem. Japan has already rolled out robots in nursing homes, offices, and schools as a way to deal with its aging population and shrinking workforce. 
Some states in the U.S. have also been experimenting with using real-life robocops to patrol the streets, often with mixed results. No kidding. The professor said that the robots could provide emotional and physical assistance to Japan's aging society. The theory goes that these robots will be able to communicate with humans more authentically and effectively if they give the impression that they are capable of feeling like us. However, speaking to Science News' Antonio Damasio, a neuroscientist at the University of Southern California, was quick to point out that this is not the same thing as a robot actually experiencing some kind of internal experience. So, if young Afeto is gazing at you with puppy dog eyes and a sad frown, try not to feel too bad. Ultimately, humans will learn to have no feelings toward either robots or other humans if it becomes hard to discern the difference. This is going to cause human beings to be hardened toward everyone and everything. Robots, AIs, and zoonotic viruses seem to be conspiring against living, breathing beings with souls called humans. Hasatan has in mind replacing humans with his artificial and heartless entities. He tried this before Noah's flood by producing Nephilim through the procreation of demons and human women. And there is still a Nephilim breeding program on earth today. Neither Nephilim or the artificial entities of Hasatan have souls. The idea is to utterly remove all souls from the earth and through this to completely destroy Yeshua's kingdom. Well, that's enough of the future threat to our existence. Now let's talk about Israel's peace plan construction battleground. The Jewish Christian beast, also known as the Judeo-Christian beast of Revelation 13, continues to push for yet another way that human lives will be at stake on earth, war. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has announced plans to build 3,000 new homes in a part of Jerusalem that the international community holds as the capital of a future Palestinian state called Givat Hamatos. The area is a little south of the old city of Jerusalem. An additional 1,000 units will be built in Beit Safafa, an Arab neighborhood which straddles the green line adjacent to Givat Hamatos. The announcement immediately drew verbal fire from Palestinians who called the planned construction land theft and a violation of international law. But Israel insists it has the right to build anywhere in its capital city and it is backed by U.S. President Donald Trump's new plan for the Middle East which recognizes a united Jerusalem as Israel's capital and designates the planned construction zone as Israeli territory. Palestine Liberation Organization Secretary General Saeed Barakat called for international condemnation of what he called Israel's colonial project of settlement construction which he said articulates Israel's rejection of the right of Palestine and Palestinians to exist.
The Israel Lands Authority issued tenders this week for the construction of 1,077 of those housing units in that Jewish neighborhood of Givat Hamatos in southern Jerusalem. This has been a plan which had been frozen for years by the Prime Minister's office initially because of pressure from the Obama administration. The construction of the neighborhood was viewed as particularly problematic because it was thought that in a future plan to divide Jerusalem, Givat Hamatos would separate two Arab neighborhoods of Jerusalem, Beit Safafa and Sharafat, from the contiguity of the Palestinian part of East Jerusalem, and the two neighborhoods would be surrounded by Jewish neighborhoods. So here's the battle part. As far as the Palestinians are concerned, the area in question is key to their plan, the Palestinians' plan of dividing Jerusalem. They are unabashed about their plans to create a contiguous urban foothold from Bethlehem through Beit Jala and Givat Hamatos. The new Jewish settlements planned in these areas thwarts the Palestinians' efforts. The Great Tribulation can be defined as a confluence of situations and conditions designed by Yahweh using man's own rebellion and stupidity to cleanse the earth of all unrighteousness. Right now, that includes most humans living on earth. Whether humans die because of the coming diseases, economic collapses that lead to famines, war, or any of the other punishments yet to be sent to the earth by Yahweh, humans will die. But those who have an ear to hear and obey the instructions they hear will make it through as overcomers.